matter, I'm up here so I get to do what I want to do. But she, she had this fear of flying. She wouldn't get on an airplane. <clears throat> and she began to look at grandkids. <clears throat> and all at once, now she flies all by herself. Steve doesn't even fly with her. She goes, <clears throat> she flies all by herself. Why? Because of what she began to focus on. <clears throat> well, pastor, that's silly. Let me tell you something. That's what determines the direction of our life. What are we focusing on? And we can look at that and we can say, well, that's just a little thing, although it's not a little thing. But we can say that. Because, you know, our things are big things. Everybody else's things are little things. Amen. Don't shout me down now just because I'm telling the truth. You know, <clears throat> but when we begin to focus on the right things, all at once we can begin to deal with things that we thought we'd never be able to deal with. We can overcome things that we thought we would never be able to overcome. And how do we do it? It's by what we focus on. What do we look to? Well, as you know, um, that, that's not my message. <laughs> that's just a thought. <clears throat> and a uh, penny for your thoughts. Well, it costs you more than that. But, uh, you know, <clears throat> this, this year we're going to be looking at 40 years that Abundant Life has been in existence. First years it was known as Love and Shepherd Fellowship. <clears throat> and I've just, just decided from time to time I want to, um, not that it's, it's total review, but I want to cover some things that we haven't really covered afresh that at the beginning, I mean, th these were some of the areas that we really we really focused on, and I think sometimes as we go along, we, we begin to put certain things, we don't, we don't put the same emphasis on it that we once put on it. And so, <clears throat> this morning and possibly for the next few weeks, I wanna to talk to you about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, because the problem is, is when we don't talk about these things, we begin to, we begin to lose sight of its significance and its importance in our life. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit, uh, whether we realize it, whether we recognize it, whether we focus upon it, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is so important in our lives in so, in so, many, in so many ways. I think oftentimes we look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit and we look at the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the manifestation of tongues and we, we, we look at it, well, I've been baptized in the Holy Ghost, I pray in other tongues, and so, so that's the end of it. But the ministry of the Holy Spirit is so significant, so important in our lives. <clears throat> Jesus, when he left, he said, I'm not going to leave you alone, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to send you another helper. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And he'll not just simply come to you, he'll live in you. And he'll remain with you. He'll not leave you. He'll not forsake you. When we understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit, there is, there is such a comfort, because he's known as the comforter, but there is such a comfort that's available in our lives when we learn to recognize him and to depend upon him. 
And so I wanna, <clears throat> I wanna talk with you, I wanna begin talking with you this morning about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I want us to <clears throat> reconcile in a sense as to why the Holy Spirit came. Again, he didn't just simply come so that we might be baptized in what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit and so that we might speak in other tongues, but he had a, he had a ministry in each of our lives. And if we, lose, if we lose sight of that, if that becomes taboo to us, if it's just something that we once in a while talk about, it loses its, its power, it loses its impact, it loses its strength. And the other problem is, is when we don't spend time dwelling upon, thinking on, meditating on the workings of the Holy Spirit in our life, we have a tendency to revert back to all the old thoughts that we had concerning the Holy Spirit. Rather than recognizing that moment by moment, day by day, he wants to do something new in each of our lives. But oftentimes when we don't see that, we begin to revert back. You know, <clears throat> most of us were probably taught that the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers today is to convict us of our sin. But when you really begin to study the ministry of the Holy Spirit and what it is to be in our lives today, it is conviction, but it's to convict us of what Jesus has truly performed and what he's accomplished in our lives. And the problem is, is we lose sight of that. And when we begin to lose sight of what Jesus has done in our lives, our attention immediately veers off of him and back onto self. And when our, we veer off of our attention on Jesus, on the Holy Spirit, and we begin to focus upon self, it begins to dwell once again upon our failings, upon our shortcomings, and upon what we haven't accomplished. But when we allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us as he desires to us, what he wants to do us wants to do in our lives is he wants to convince us of what Jesus has truly performed in each of our lives. The first passage I want to share with you this morning comes from the book of Mark. Mark the seventh chapter. And we're going to look at the 13th verse. Dear Father, we thank you for your precious Holy Spirit who is here to teach us today. And Father, we, we submit unto him. We choose to hear from you today. We choose not to just simply hear the words of a man. We want to hear in our spirit. We want to hear the words of the Holy Spirit because we know that he will bring freedom He'll bring wholeness. He'll bring victory in every area of our lives. And so, Father, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, this passage, 20 some odd years ago, you know how you can read something but not really see it? 
So I'm talking about the first time that I saw this passage. It was, it was, it was, like, it was like revelation to me and the passages that relate to it. Because listen to what it says. Romans 7, 13. Seventh, what did I say? Mark. Mark. What did I say, Romans? Some of you are listening. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Some of you aren't, so you just immediately turned to Romans. When I first encountered Mark, the seventh chapter and the 13th, listen to this. Well, let's, let's back up to the 12th verse. Then you no longer let him do anything for his fathers and for his mother. Talking about the traditions of man. Making the word of God of no effect through their traditions, which you have handed down. And many such things you do. Now, I was under the impression that the most powerful thing that we could ever encounter was the Word of God. Because the Bible says the Word of God will divide asunder that which is so from that which is spirit. <clears throat> Nothing is impossible to the Word of God. And then I encountered this verse. And this verse says that our traditions, think about this for a moment. I've always said, you know, really, faith is easy. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Faith is easy. The difficult part is unlearning what we've learned that's contrary to the word of God. That's known as the traditions of man. And oftentimes, we've learned, we've allowed tradition to determine well, we believe about the Holy Spirit. We've been told so many times <clears throat> that it's the Holy Spirit that comes in to convict you of your sin. You know what? Your spirit man, the moment that you are born again, is a brand new man in Christ Jesus. We're going to look at a passage in just a little bit that says that <clears throat> we no longer live a life of a guilty conscience. Why? Because our conscience has been cleansed through the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so do you know what that means? That means you and I, I'm going to teach this morning, so I got to calm down. That means that you and I don't have to have the Holy Spirit convict us of our sin. Do you know why? Because you know every time I sin. Do you know what the Holy Spirit does? He wants to convince us that in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of our failings, in spite of what the world will try to convince us of, Jesus was more than enough. Whatever you're dealing with in your life, Jesus is more than enough. Jesus isn't just enough Savior. Jesus is a more 
been enough Savior. That's probably not good English, but praise the Lord, it's good theology. He's more than enough. You know, on Wednesday night, we've been talking about grace, the power of the gospel. And one of the things that we've done is we've brought out the definition that I believe it was Andrew Womack that said, that I heard say it. He says, the gospel is the too good to be true news. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to convince us of. That this gospel is too good to be true. The only thing in it, it is true. And it's for you. And it's for me. In the gospel of John, the 16th chapter, and I do mean the gospel of John, the seventh verse is where we're going to begin reading. It says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. He's talking to his disciples and they're, they're, they're distressed because Jesus says he's going to go away. And he says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convince. He will convince. You know, the, the American, or, or the King James Version there says he will reprove. He will convince, reprove the world. Who? The world of sin, of righteousness and judgment of sin because they do not believe me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Notice who he's talking about here. He's saying the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to convince, convict the world of sin. Why? Because they don't believe in me. We've talked about this many times. There's only one sin that will damn us to hell. That's the sin of unbelief. That's the sin of not believing that what Jesus did for us was more than enough. And so here Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to convince the world of sin. He's going to convict the world of sin. He's going to convict the world of judgment. He's going to convict the world of righteousness. In other words, they're not righteous. But that's the world. I don't know if you realize this or not. You're not of the world. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. We're aliens. I mean, give out my age again. You know, <clears throat> the one song that I remember of Mylon Lefevre, first Christian rock singer ever, you, Julia remembers because she's getting old too. <laughs> but, he, but he sang this song and the title of the song was Crack the Sky. What is he talking about? He is talking about the rapture. He was talking about how we as born again believers, 
We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We don't have to fear the judgment. Why? Because we have been declared innocent. Through the blood of Jesus. We have a home in heaven just waiting for us. And you know what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do? He's wanting to convict us of that. Or, here's a definition in the Greek. That word reprove or convict means is to convince or to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's to convince the world that they're a sinner and they need a Savior. We don't need to be convinced that we're sinners. Why? Because we aren't. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because of what he's done for each and every one of us. That's why this good news, it's so good. It's, it's too good to be true. I often say that's, that's the one. Now understand what I'm saying here. I'm, I'm saying in, in human terms, not in God. It's the one flaw of the gospel, although the gospel is not flawed. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But worldly speaking, it's the one flaw in the gospel. It's free. If we could just earn it, if we could just do something, but we can't because it's a free gift. All we can do is receive it. Now the interesting thing about it is once we receive it, we oftentimes don't believe it. And that's where the Holy Spirit steps into the life of the believer to convince us that we are who the Bible says we are. That Jesus has truly done for us what Jesus said he would do for us. It's an accomplished work. It's been done. You know, Adam and Eve, their sin, nobody has anything to throw, do they? Because I'm I'm just really concerned here. I might, if anybody's carrying any rocks, I could be in trouble here. Their sin was not that they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Their sin was they didn't believe God. See, we we, we look at the act and we see it as the sin. It's the fruit. The root is always unbelief. The root of every fruit of sin is unbelief. What do you mean, Pastor Dave? We don't believe what God said in his word. Adam and Eve, God said, you could eat of any tree in the garden, any tree, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of that tree because the day that you eat of that tree, you're gonna die. But notice what it says in Genesis 3, 5. And this is the snake 
This is Satan speaking. He says, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. You know, God already told him that you have it all. God said, don't eat of that tree of good and evil because if you eat of that tree of good and evil, it's not gonna be good things that happen in your life. But what did they do? They doubted God. They listened to Satan and Satan whispered in their ear. He says, you know, God's fearful of you. God's trying to hold out on you. Have you ever thought that one? Well, you know, I want to be, I don't want to become too spiritual. You know, because if I get too spiritual, I might miss out. That's a lie right from the pit of hell. I was sharing with somebody the other day. And I won't tell you it was Steve, but uh, we were talking the other day, you know, because people, when they come into their, my office, it's private, and so I, I wouldn't want to disclose. <laughs> but I, but we, were, we were talking about his return. No, I, I'm sorry, it wasn't you, Steve. That was a different conversation. It was another individual, now that I recollect it. So, so forgive me in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and uh, move on. But another individual, and we got, we got talking about heaven. The, re, the reason that I, I realized it couldn't have been Steve because he's already a grandfather and got kids raised and so forth. And this, this individual is saying, you know, I, I know that I'm not supposed to feel this way, but, you know, <clears throat> I, I'm, I want Jesus to come back, but yet if Jesus comes back, you know, I, I, I kind of want to see my kids grow up and I kind of want to experience being a grandfather and I kind of want to, you know, see this, this area and <clears throat> what a lie. You know, I, I mean, it's, it's great being a grandfather, but compared to heaven? And you see, we need to be convinced that what, what Jesus has for us, what he's done for us is so much greater and awesomer than anything that this world could ever possibly want to throw in our direction. But see, we buy the same lie that Adam and Eve bought. God's holding out on you. Let me tell you something. He's not holding out on us. He wants to bless us above and beyond what we could ever think, dream, or imagine. You know, the thing about it is in the Old Testament, we have, <clears throat> we have examples of, of both unbelief and belief and what it produced in individuals' lives. You know, in, in Psalm 70, or excuse me, Psalm 51, <clears throat> this is one of the Psalms of David. And listen what, to what he says. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless 
when you judge. Remember David? David was the king of Israel. David, in the time when, when kings were out to battle, David stayed home. And in the middle of the night, David couldn't sleep, probably because he should have been out there with his soldiers. And so he is at the wrong place at the wrong time because he wasn't where he's supposed to be. He's on the rooftop at night and he sees Bathsheba. Good looking woman taking a bath. Number one, he should have had enough sense not to watch or take a bath. But he watched her and he lusted after her, desired her, called for her, laid with her. She became pregnant. Called her husband home, thinking I gotta fix this thing. But Uriah was a man of integrity. As long as his fellow soldiers were on the, on the battlefield, he was unwilling to go in and lay with his wife. And so now David had a problem. So he sent Uriah to the front lines and had him killed. Because just well stuck the knife through him himself. But he was killed. And this psalm that we're reading here is after David was finally convinced of the errors of his way. Listen to what it says in 2 Samuel. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. This is the Lord speaking. Because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your wife. And so David, you know, he, he did it and he, he justified it in his, own, in, a, in his own mind. You know, here, here's David, he's the king. Should have been trusting in God. After all, he is the apple of his eye. But yet he bought the lie. This will make me happy. This will satisfy me. Really what it did was it produced destruction in his life because David committed adultery, which led to murder. And it affected the rest of his life. Why? Because he didn't trust God. But then we have another example in Genesis 39. And we're, here we have the example of Joseph. And Joseph is a young man. He's been deceived by his brothers. He's been sold into slavery. And so he's bought by Potiphar. And, and in Potiphar's house, he, he rises in his rank to where he's the head of everything in Potiphar's house. And, and, and so Potiphar trusts him with everything. And so in Genesis, the 39th chapter and the 9th verse, and Evidently, he's a, he's a good-looking guy because uh, Potiphar's wife wants to lay with him. And, but he refuses. But this is what I want you to hear. Listen to what he says. And so we're in, in the ninth verse. Well, let's back up to the seventh verse. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and said to him, well, I with me. 
But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is within with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hands. There is no one greater in his house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. Now, how then can I do this great wickedness and listen to this, and sin against God. Everything that led up to it. He talked about Potiphar and how Potiphar trusted him. But you know what the ultimate motivation was? Because Potiphar's wife was in a position to do him a lot of hurt. And the lie would be, well, you're just a slave anyway. They're just using you. What, what's it going to hurt? He's not going to know. Notice he didn't talk about Potiphar. He says, how can I do this against my God? Why was he able to stay true? Because he trusted God. How is it that we're going to be able to, <clears throat> you know, we, we look around us and we look at circumstances and we, we, we think about motivation. What's going to motivate me to live a holy life? going to be because I trust God. Well, you know, we need to have a fear of God. Yeah, but the true fear of God means that we trust him. And we trust him. We know that what he says in his word is truth and that he's not lying to us. He's not trying to withhold anything from us. He only wants good from us. You know, in Jesus, in the book of Matthew, when Jesus was baptized, in Matthew, the third chapter, and the 17th verse, this is when Jesus is, well, is back up to the 16th verse. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and enlightening upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So the heavens opened, there was a voice that came from heaven, spoke over Jesus and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But you know what's interesting is right after this, Jesus gets led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And he's tested. He's, he's tempted to sin. And so we get down to the fourth chapter and the third verse. And it says, now when the tempter came to him, he said, if if always implies a condition. If you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. If the number one tactic that the enemy will always try to bring against you, he will try to get you to doubt your position 
in Christ Jesus. He will try to get you to doubt what Jesus has truly done for you in your life. And he'll do it. What did God say to him? You're my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What did the enemy try to attack? If you be the son of God, prove it. Isn't it wonderful? You don't have to prove a thing. You don't have to prove a thing. You've been born again. You are a child of God. You don't have to prove a thing. But the enemy will come along and say, <laughs> if you're really saved, you wouldn't do that. Or this, this is what the enemy would want to say to us today. If you're really saved, it doesn't matter whether you do that or not. And you know what that means? What he's doing? He's attacking our trust in him. He's saying, God says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Let's, let's use David. Let's use Joseph. God says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Because he says, you know what? I'll meet every one of your needs without adultery. But you know what? We say, well, you know, God loves me. It doesn't matter what I do. That means is I don't trust God that he'll bring satisfaction into my life in every area of my life. And so I'm going to do my thing and I'm going to do my thing because I don't trust God. Let me tell you something. The enemy, the number one thing he wants to erode in our lives is our ability to put our trust, to put our confidence completely in him. And what did Jesus say? He said, get behind me, Satan. Do you recognize where those evil thoughts come from? Comes from either the world, the flesh, or the devil. God doesn't put those thoughts in your mind. And so the way that we overcome the, the sin is by defeating the thought. And you don't defeat a thought by saying, I'm not going to think it anymore. <laughs> How many of you have come to realize that doesn't work out so well? It's to recognize where the thought comes from. You take authority over that thought and you get in line with God and say, Father, I trust, I trust you. I trust your word. I don't, I don't have to steal because I know that you supply all my needs according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. I don't have to lie because your word says it's the truth that's going to set me free. Well, now I started meddling, didn't I? But see, it doesn't matter whether it's big or whether it's small. The number one thing the enemy wants to do is he wants to get us to a place where we don't trust him any longer. And to not trust him is unbelief. And so, as a believer, what he wants to do is, what the Holy Spirit is working in our life, is to come against that unbelief. 
that unbelief that would keep us from putting our trust completely in the completed works of Jesus. Let's look at Hebrews, the fourth chapter. The 15th verse. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all things tempted as we, yet without sin. Now we, we kind of read over that verse. But you know what? That verse is so important because we know how Jesus set aside his deity. And when he walked upon the earth, he walked upon this earth as a man. The Bible says we were, he was tempted in all things as we, yeah, without sin. And so what that tells us is the sin isn't in the temptation. The sin is in the fruit, the action, behind the temptation. And the only way the temptation can have any substance or take any root in our life is through unbelief. By choosing to believe the lie rather than choosing to believe what God has to say about us, what he has to say about our situation. And so how do we handle it? Well, I thank God for the Apostle Paul I thank God for the Apostle Peter and for their writings and thank God we can, we can trust them because they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. But you know who our ultimate example is? Is Jesus. And when temptation came to Jesus, and isn't it interesting, it's after Jesus had been empowered or filled with the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit came upon him. So in Jesus' ministry, he ministered under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We don't have any account of Jesus performing a miracle before that day. The first thing that came against him was a temptation, the temptation to do something out of unbelief. If you be the Son of God, turn this rock into bread. You know, he could have turned the rock into bread. He would have still been the son of God. But you know what? He didn't have to prove it. He didn't have to prove it to anybody. We don't have to prove it. We are who we are. We are children of the most high God. And somebody may question it, but guess what? We don't have to get into that mode where we got to prove it to somebody. Well, what are we supposed to do then, pastor? We're to live it. And as we live it, our life is to be a living testimony. And what is it that demonstrates that our life is a living testimony? Our trust in Him. Our confidence in Him. Knowing that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Not feeling like I've got to go around and, and put on some kind of a spiritual, humble front. That's just a facade that truly covers up my real issue. Because my real issue is I don't trust him. So we need to put our trust completely upon him. We don't have to prove it. Why do we do it? Because we bear fruit. 
Because I'm a born-again Christian who puts all of my trust and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, I bear fruit in my life. And the interesting thing about fruit is it's visible. Those around us are able to see it, not because I'm trying to prove something, but because I'm living something. We are to be living testimonies of the goodness of God. Our life is to demonstrate how good God is. You know, I've found that in witnessing, the easiest witnessing is when somebody wants what you have, and so they're asking you questions. What is it that produced this in your life? And you're able to say, well, I don't know if you want to hear this or not. But it's Jesus. And they can't deny it. Because they're not experiencing it in their life, and you are. But why are you experiencing it? Because of Jesus. It's not because I'm trying to prove something to you. It's because I'm just simply living it out. <clears throat> Isn't that a wonderful thought to think of? We just have to live it out. You just have to be you. You don't have to be me. And everybody says, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but you don't have to be anybody else. You just have to be you. And when you have a revelation of what Jesus Christ has truly done in your life, you bear fruit. You bear fruit in every single area of your life. You, you've heard me say this before, but <clears throat> I've never walked through an apple tree, uh, after, uh, through an apple orchard, and heard all the trees going, <laughs> not a single one of them is trying to produce an apple. They just do it. Because that's what apple trees do. You're a Christian. Amen. You're a Christian. You produce. What Christians produce? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, something else. That's what we produce. All of it. You're a Christian. You walk in love. Not because you're trying to, because that's who you are. You're a Christian. And Christianity and love are synonymous with one another. And so that means that you're patient with others. You're long-suffering with others. You don't judge others. You don't condemn others. You love. Well, it's hard for me to love. Just be a Christian. And it'll flow out of you. We can go on and on. You cast out devils. Oh, now it's you started meddling. You're a Christian. Mark 16 says that Christians will pray in other tongues. They will cast out devils. They'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And if they drink anything deadly, it'll not harm them. That's you. Well, Pastor, I don't know if I'm prayed up about that. Who said anything about being prayed up for it? You need to live it up. Live who you are. 
a child of the Most High God. Hebrews 3.12 Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. What does the enemy want us to do? He wants us to get into unbelief. He says an evil heart is a heart of unbelief. Remember when the children of Israel came back after spying out the land. And they came before the Moses and the rest. And the 10 of them, the Bible says they gave an evil report. Why was it an evil report? Because it was a report of unbelief. It was a report that was contrary to the word of God. What did Joshua and Caleb say? They said, let's go. Let's take it. Oh yeah, there's giants in the land, but it doesn't matter. God said that we would possess the land. Let's go. They're ready to go. But what they do, they took the majority report. And the Bible says the majority report was an evil report because it was, it was a report of unbelief. It was a report that was contrary to the word of God. When you say you can't, when God says you can, it's an evil report. Well, I can't live holy. That's a lie. That's unbelief. Because the Bible says we are a holy people. We are already holy because of what Jesus has done in our lives. And so we can do it. 1 John 2, 2 says, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. That's talking about Jesus. He's the truth. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. But you know, we got to know the truth. And so what's the Holy Spirit doing? The Holy Spirit is still working in our lives. If he convinces us or convicts us of anything, it's of unbelief. You're trusting self in that area. And you know what he'll always do? He will always bring us back to the Word of God. Because the Word of God is the most sure thing. You know, the Bible talks about prophecy and how good prophecy is, that we should never despise prophecy. But the Bible says concerning prophecy and the Word of God, we who have the Word of God have a more sure thing. It can be completely trusted. And so that's why the Holy Spirit will always bring us back to the Word of God because it's the more sure thing. Romans 10, 17, once again, says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So when we hear this word, that more sure thing takes root in our lives so that we can live and move and have our being and live the victorious life in every area of life. In Acts, the 16th chapter, the 30th chapter, verse. You know, and so 
how do, how, how do we get saved? We looked at what the Holy Spirit was to do of the world. It was to convict them of their sin. Notice what it says here in verse 30. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he said, believe. Did you get that? Believe. Pastor, what must I do to be saved? Believe. What must I do to experience salvation for healing? Believe. What must I do to experience salvation for, for prosperity in my life? Believe. What must I do to have salvation for, for deliverance in my life? Believe. Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You know what? That command has not changed. It's the same. How do we experience abundant salvation in our life? Believe in the completed works of Jesus. That's how we got saved. We were convicted of our sin. We believed that Jesus was the answer. He was the way, the truth, and the life. And so we accepted him. We received him. We received that life. But you know, that wasn't the end of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. But you know what? He doesn't have to convict you of sin any longer because the sin issue has been dealt with. Now the issue is a fruit issue. Now the issue is that we don't believe. David didn't believe. And what did he do? He committed adultery. Joseph believed. And what did he do? He ran away. Same thing works in your life, in my life. What are we going to believe? Are we going to accept what Jesus has said about us? A couple of weeks ago, for a couple of weeks, we talked about imputing sin. We read Romans 4.8. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. You're that man and I'm that man. He will not hold sin to our account or put sin to our account. Why? Because we've been saved through the precious blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's the wisdom of the Holy Spirit that is working in our life that will direct us to where we're allowing unbelief. So we move away from it. We put our trust, we put our confidence fully in Him. Proverbs 19, 19 says, a man of great wealth will suffer punishment. For if you rescue him, he will have to do it again. What's that talking about? You can rescue somebody in the natural. But you know what? If they don't get the wisdom of God, if they don't have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit working in their life, they're going to go through it all over again. You know, statistics prove... <clears throat> that people that win the lottery, the majority of them within seven years are in the same state they were in before they won the lottery. They blow it all. We look at that and we think, how can that possibly be? Because they never learned how to manage it. The same stupidity 
that brought them to the place they were before they won the lottery is the same stupidity that'll take them back to it. <clears throat> now, I believe th there's only one problem. I, I understand you gotta buy a ticket to win the lottery. So I evidently will never win the lottery. But <clears throat> I believe that if I won the lottery, I'd be able to handle it. Now, somebody could give me a whole lot of money and test me out on this and, and we'll, we'll, we'll see. But I believe I could. Why? Because I have the Holy Spirit to guide me and direct me. And do you know what he would lead me to do? He would lead me to see to it that the gospel is spread throughout the world. That it be used for his glory. But see, the wisdom of man says, well, let's buy a yacht. Problem with a yacht is it sinks. Let's buy a vacation home in Florida. Problem with a vacation home in Florida is they have hurricanes. You know, let, let, let's buy a, 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 a Lamborghini. The problem is you're not smart enough to drive the thing at a decent speed so you kill yourself. You know, let's, let's face it. Stupid is as stupid does. People are pretty stupid. We need the wisdom of, I need I have to have the wisdom of God in my life. I need the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life to convict me of my doubt, to convict me of my unbelief. Why? So that I get back into belief again. But you know what? I don't need him to convict me of my sin. Why? Because my conscience is well aware of every time that I mess up. Now, thank God for his wisdom. He'll show me how to deal with it. But he's not condemning you. He's not condemning you. He's lifting you up. He's making sure that we know that we can do all things through Christ. One last portion of scripture. I'm going to read this. Out of Hebrews, the ninth chapter. I'm going to skip around here a little bit. I'm going to start out with verse 12. It says, Not with the blood, not with the blood of, of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place. Once for all, I about to say once for all. Having obtained eternal redemption, he entered in once for all. Verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You know what, you know what dead works are? Dead works are our effort to find favor with God. Our effort to earn salvation. You know what, as long as we feel and, and buy into the lie that I still have to do something, our conscience will not be cleansed. I mean, it'll be cleansed, but we won't experience its cleansing because it'll be seared. 
Jesus did it once for all. Verse 26. He then, if it, if it wasn't once for all, he would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. What did he do with sin? Put it away. He put it away. Verse 28. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. What's it talking about? It's talking about his return. See, the sin question has been taken care of. And so when Jesus comes back the second time, the rapture, it's not going to be about sin. It's going to be about receiving us and taking us to be with him through all eternity. Jesus. Amen. It's what it is. It's Jesus. Who you are in Jesus. Met with somebody yesterday. And don't look around the room, try to figure it out. They're not here. So. But just the issues that they were dealing with. You know, sometimes you feel so helpless because you can empathize with what they're going through. But the answer was the same answer that was given to them years back. And the answer is Jesus. You know, we can get fired up about Jesus for the moment. But it's the longevity that brings about that consistency in the victory walk. It's knowing, not intellectually, but it's knowing experientially what Jesus has truly done for each and every one of us. And that's what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in each of our lives if we will listen to him. Every time we feel down, every time we feel hopeless, every time we feel like we've fallen so short, because we have, the Holy Spirit is there to remind us it's not about what you've done. It's what Jesus has done for you. He's there to refocus our attention off of self, off of circumstances, and get us focused back on Jesus. He's the answer. What are we to be reviewing in our life over and over again? Why was David able to defeat Goliath? Because David had reviewed the victories that he had had through the work of God in his life. When he's running towards Goliath, what does he yell? I've killed the lion, I've killed the bear. What is this uncircumcised Philistine to me? And he wasn't putting his, his, his confidence in himself. He knew that it was God that enabled him 
to kill the lion and kill the bear. And he knew that it was God that was going to enable him to destroy the Philistine. What's the Philistine in your life? The victory comes as we look back on the victories that we've already had in Christ Jesus. And you may look at it and think it was so small, but it wasn't a small thing. Any work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is not a small thing. And so we learn to lean upon him, rely upon him, because the Holy Spirit, as need be, will bring those things to our remembrance. And what's it for? So we walk in victory. So no defeat can come against us. So when the enemy raises his ugly head, and he says, if you be a child of God. And our response is, oh, stop right there. Because there is no question about it. I am a child of God. And just for your information, you're a defeated foe whose head was crushed under the foot of Jesus. So why don't you just go take a hike? Oh, Pastor, you better be careful if you talk that way. No, you better be careful if you don't. We need to rise up and recognize what Jesus has done for us and begin to walk in it. Hallelujah. Man, we serve a good God. We have a loving Savior. We have a Savior and a Father and a Holy Spirit we can trust completely. And so, Father, we thank you for the victory that is truly ours. And so we give you all the praise and the honor and the glory in the precious name of Jesus. And Father, we pray that we will be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Father, we hear that voice. You speak to us and we hear it. And now we're going to purpose to acknowledge it. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us, for living within us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing to us those areas of unbelief so that we can get back over where we belong, trusting, trusting in the completed works of Jesus. So we give you praise and glory in his marvelous name, in the name of Jesus, amen. So as you go, go in his peace, his strength, his love, go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the glorious name of Jesus, amen. God bless you. Give somebody a hug and let them know you love them.